Okay, turn with me to Psalm 6. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. No one remembers you when he is dead. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and dismayed. They will turn back in sudden disgrace. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, but verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, day is coming and you know how to be ready. Children know how to be ready. They start making their lists. They sort of be good and they become more and more greedy for better and better presents. Our teenagers know how to be ready. They try and come up with things that their parents could buy for them and even that their parents can provide to their grandparents to buy for them. 
And as they get a little bit older, you have to buy things for other people, don't you, out of your own money. Teenagers know how to be ready. Adults, of course, know how to be ready for the day that is coming. Save up a whole lot of money. Write your Christmas cards, at least we used to. Post something on social media. Work out which uh, branch of the family you're going to see when. And make sure you buy presents for everyone. There's a big day coming. We do it every year. And we know how to be ready. Frankly, there is a bigger day coming. When the Lord will come down from heaven, there'll be a loud command, a trumpet call, the angel will call out, and the dead will rise. It will make Christmas look very ordinary. So how do you be ready? Well, something, some people think you'd be ready by guessing when it will come. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. We saw last week that the Thessalonians knew just from the first three weeks that Paul had been with them that Jesus was coming back. They had turned to him and they were waiting for him to return. They were worried about those who had died already, worried that they might have missed it. But Paul reassures them they have not missed it and they will not miss out. It will be good and it means that you do not grieve without hope. But when, you might ask. Well, even they, with their very small Christian understanding, knew that about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. If you know anything about Jesus' return, you know that he's going to come like a thief in the night. In fact, if I started the sentence for you, Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. We are very clear on it. It means no one knows when he's going to return. In fact, even Jesus said he didn't know. So how it can be that down through the centuries, so many people have thought that they have known when Jesus is going to return, they have predicted it and brought thousands of people to believe them, not just down through the centuries, but during our own lifetime, is extraordinary, isn't it? We have this innate desire to know when, because then we'll be able to be ready. Here is a clear reminder for you. For it will happen again in your lifetime and in mine. Do not be deceived. We do not need to write to you. For you know already that the Lord Jesus himself said he will come like a thief in the night. His coming is unexpected. But is that all that coming like a thief in the night means? You don't know when it's coming. Other things can come that are unexpected. Imagine this, you've settled in for the evening, you're watching your favourite TV show on your birthday and the doorbell rings and you think, was I expecting someone? Is someone coming this evening? Is this an expected house visit? No. And you open the door and there are your friends and family and they all yell out, Surprise! 
Now, is that better than a thief in the night or worse? Well, some of you are probably thinking that's worse, actually. That's your worst nightmare, right? But that's actually good, do you see? I'm trying to draw a contrast here. Thief in the night means unexpected, do you see? But it means more than unexpected. It means bad. Unexpected destruction. Do you see that in verse 3? While people are saying peace and safety... Destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. In the Old Testament, again and again, God's prophets warned God's people if they did not turn from their sin, the day of the Lord would come and he would judge them. But the false prophet said, don't worry, peace and safety, all will be well. Today people scoff and say, where is this coming that Jesus said? Everything will go on like it has since the beginning of the world. But don't be put off. That's exactly what God said would happen. People will be saying peace and safety and just then destruction will come on them suddenly like a thief in the night, unexpected destruction. But more than that, you will not be able to escape as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. A pregnant woman knows that a day is coming. All she has to do is look down, and she knows. But she doesn't know when it will come. But when it does come, sure enough, when it has really come, she cannot escape. Many women have tried it in labor. I think, that's enough now, they say. Let's just go home. But it has never worked. Not once unexpected inescapable destruction do you see jesus's return will be unexpected it will bring destruction and if you are the object of that destruction you cannot escape it will be too late like a thief in the night I wonder whether you really believe that, that he's coming back and that for the vast majority of mankind it will bring inescapable destruction. I wonder, is that what it will bring for you? Are you ready? If you are ready, have you ever warned anyone of this. It's so unpalatable, so unbelievable, so seemingly nasty in our society that we wouldn't dare mention it, would we? Especially at Christmas time when it's all about peace and safety and joy and hope. How might you explain that to someone at Christmas? Jesus will come like a thief in the night, unexpected, inescapable destruction. And we must be ready. But Jesus will not come like a thief in the night for everyone. Verse 4. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Verse 4, if we read it slow enough, ought to surprise us. For we are very clear on the fact that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. Read it again. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. It's unexpected when he comes. How could it not surprise you like a thief in the night? Have a look back at the verse. 
you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. How is it that Jesus' return, which is unexpected, can possibly be not like a thief in the night for you? Well, very simply, in verse 4 and 5, because you are not in the night. He can't come like a thief in the night because you are not in the night. In verse 4, you're not in darkness. Verse 5, you're in the day, in the light. He says to the Thessalonians, you know that he's coming back like a thief in the night, but not for you. Oh yes, they were asleep, they were worshipping idols, but they heard the news of Jesus. They turned to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven who rescues them from the coming wrath. Not because they were clever or better than the people around them or more religious. God chose them, verse 9. They were appointed not to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. They are no longer in the night. They are in the day. So Jesus' return will not be like a thief in the night. Is that you? Will Jesus' return be like a thief in the night for you? If you have turned to serve the living and true God and you are now waiting for his son from heaven, you are in the day. And though you don't know when he's coming, though it's unexpected, it will not bring inescapable destruction. That is good news, isn't it? If you have turned to Jesus and are waiting for him to return, then you are ready. You can be confident that you are ready. There is not more work to do if you trust in Jesus. And that ought to fill us with confidence and joy. But not just confidence and joy, it ought to change how we live. Verse 6, So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, literally. Let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. When a man has uh, met the woman of his dreams and decides that she is the woman for him and he wants to spend the rest of his life with her, uh, he wants to get to that day. He wants to get to that day when he will make his promises and begin to live with her for the rest of his life. And he asks her and hopefully if she says yes, they set the day. And from that moment forward, he belongs to that day. As they plan for the day, everything revolves around it. But not just the wedding day, he belongs to that day for he is looking forward to living together. He belongs to that day. And in our society, we have a wonderful way of him and his mates celebrating the fact that he belongs to that day before it really happens. Do you know what his mates do? These special mates that he's chosen to get him to that day to be his groomsmen, do you know what they do? They take him out for the night, they get him drunk and try to tempt him with other women. 
We think in our society that is a really good way to get a man ready when he belongs to the day when he will live with his wife. Do you know of a more stupid tradition in our society? Isn't that ridiculous? It's called a bucks party in case you haven't caught on. If that is stupid, then that shows us how we ought to live if we belong to the day that is to come. We belong to a more important day, every one of us who trust in Jesus. A day that will bring unexpected, inescapable destruction to others, but salvation to us where we will live together with him. And what will we be like once we've got to that day? We will be blameless and holy, not just in our status before God as we are already, but changed on the inside so that our wills, our desires, our character, our words, our actions really are blameless and holy. That's what we'll be like on that day. It sounds good, doesn't it? We belong to that day. So what should we do now? Well, that's obvious. You wouldn't do a bucks party thing with your life, would you? You'd live like that day will be, holy and blameless. So what does Paul say to do, verse 8? But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Does that surprise you? The one thing he says to do is we need to be self-controlled. Why is that? It's about being holy and blameless on that day and it seems to me we won't so much need to be self-controlled because we will have been changed by God on that day. But for now, as we live in this world with its anti-God and its desires and its temptations and as I live with the heart that I have at the moment, what do I need to do? I need to be self-controlled. Because how else am I going to be holy and blameless? Clearly it means don't get drunk. Christians don't get drunk. It says sober. But it means far more than that, doesn't it, in context? In chapter 4, do you remember? Avoid sexual immorality by controlling your own body in a way that is holy. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago and I challenged you, is there an area of your life where you need to avoid sexual immorality by controlling your own body? Was there a step you needed to take? Have you done it? It's been two weeks. Have you taken that action? We saw too that we are to be holy by loving one another. Do you remember in chapter 4? We're to work so we're not dependent upon other people. And Paul expands on that further here. If you look further down in the passage, we're to be patient with everyone. Verse 15, we're to not pay back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Is there someone in your life who's annoying? I mean, really annoying? Is there someone in your life who's demanding and you struggle to be patient with them? Is there someone who has wronged you and you are struggling not to want to pay them back? And the thought of trying to be kind to them, that's difficult. Well, the Thessalonians were being persecuted, do you remember? They're under intense pressure. 
And so they must have been struggling to be patient and they must have wanted to pay back to their persecutors. Paul says, be patient, don't pay back and be kind to your persecutors. Do you think that came naturally to them because they were weird? No, I don't think so. What do they need this side of that day? They need self-control. How will you have that sort of self-control? Well, Paul tells you in verse 8, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. It's a battle and you need to stand firm. So you put on your faith in what God has done. You be sure that God loves you and you put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. You belong to that day. So you need to be self-controlled now. But it's not just about you. When we belong to that day, are we just going to sit down with the Lord, each of us, individually? No. Verse 10, we will live together with him. You and I will be our hope and joy on that day. So, verse 11, he says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. We all belong to that day, those of us who are Christians. We will live together with him on that day. And so now we are to encourage one another to be self-controlled. What does it mean, do you think, to encourage one another? On Thursday night, it was the last regular meeting of my growth group. We've been meeting for the last two years. Our growth groups are coming to an end and new groups will start next year. And so we, we celebrated what God has done in our group over the last couple of years. And I wanted us to uh, do something weird, which was to affirm one another, say nice things about one another. It's a weird thing for Australian people to do in a group, so I helped them by getting, asking them to write it down first. I suggested perhaps we could all go around in the circle, hold each other's hands, look into each other's eyes and say it, but they thought I was joking for some reason. No, instead we got a bit of paper with a person's name on it, wrote down a sentence, folded it over so they couldn't see, went around in the circle until finally it got back to the end and you didn't have to read your own one, you just had to say the person's name and then you would read it out and the person would feel affirmed and then you would give them the piece of paper. Do you see, I tried to help us to do something really weird. We need to affirm one another. We need to see God's work in one another's lives, don't we? That's encouraging. But I don't think that's all that Paul means here. When you encourage someone to be self-controlled, you don't just point out the good things you see in them. Have a look there in verse 12. What do leaders do? They are over you in the Lord and they admonish you. They rebuke you so that you will be self-controlled. And it's not just leaders. Verse 14, we are all to help the weak, all to encourage the timid, but we are also all to warn the idle. And verse 15, we're to make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. 
but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. How do you do that, do you think, verse 15? How do you make sure that no one in our church pays back wrong for wrong? Do you just put up a sign at the entrance saying, revenge-free zone, you know, like the nut-free zone, revenge-free zone, and that'll fix the problem? No. We need to encourage one another. We need to speak to one another when we think there might be a problem. If you know your Christian brother or sister and you think that perhaps they are acting out of malice or revenge to pay back for how they've been hurt, what should you do? Just ignore it? No, says Paul. Make sure no one pays back wrong for wrong. Speak to them, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Say what you've observed and say, it seems to me that if that was me, that might be coming from a desire to pay back that other person. Do you think that could be the case? Do you see? Give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume things, but if you love your brother and sister or sister, Paul says you will encourage one another because you both belong to the day. Well, a day is coming. For some, it'll bring inescapable destruction. Do you know that you are ready? Would you be prepared to warn someone? For those of us who have turned and served and now wait for Jesus, it will not be a surprise, not like a thief in the night. We belong to that day. It'll be our day. So how do you need to be self-controlled now? What area of your life? And how could you help someone else to be self-controlled? We belong to the day to the day that is to come. So let's live like it.